Thank you, brother. Let's go ahead and uh, turn to our Lord in prayer as we're going to begin uh, looking at Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6. Most blessed Father, we are so grateful for your goodness, for your holiness, because it is that Father which allows us to indeed to know what is right, to indeed know what is good. Today, Father, is a wonderful day. Today is a day that we honor our mothers, and we are so grateful for them, Lord, for they are a tool, along with the fathers that you have used to build us up, Lord. Even those who are unbelieving understand the importance of these roles, Lord. And I just ask you today that you would uh, bless these women, that they may be honored, Lord, for the wonderful things that they are doing, and for those mothers who have children that are already grown up, for the work that they have done. I pray for them, Father, that you would sanctify them, that you would bless them, and that we, who are under them, Father, would be able to honor them as they ought to be honored, not just today, Father, but every day, Father, because they have so wonderfully given to us. Let us return that wonderful love, knowing that we have the greatest example, which is our blessed God, who has given us all things, and who has himself worked in us, and is working in us, to build us up, to be a good character, and to be a proper servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, we thank God for you, mothers, because you're very special to us. I recently, as uh, many of you know, uh, lost my mother, and she meant the uh, world to me. I was very close to her, but I take great comfort in that, and having been able to, the very end, have had a close relationship with her. So with that in mind, I encourage you, brothers and sisters that are here, to keep a good relationship with your mother and father. I know sometimes it's difficult because our lives take us in different directions, and we're not able to spend as much time with them, but even if you can give them a call regularly, you know, that's a good way to connect with them. So I very strongly, strongly encourage you to do that. And today I'm not going to be giving a sermon on motherhood or the blessings of motherhood in light of Mother's Day. But I am going to be giving a sermon on something that actually does touch on something important that has to also do with mothers. And that has to do with having a good name. I've called this sermon Confiding in the Flesh because the text is regarding that particular issue. But as we've been uh, going through Philippians, and Brother Gerardo uh, taught us from verses 1 through 3 in the last few weeks, one of the last things that we learned is that we are to have no confidence in the flesh. But yet today, we're going to see how Paul actually speaks about how his conduct was such that if he desired to, he would actually be able to have a boasting in the flesh. Let us begin by reading verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else think he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Why does Paul uh, address this issue in this way? Because, unfortunately, we have evildoers who are working against the godly people. And that includes you who are here, brothers and sisters. We have people who want to do harm to the things of the Lord, and you being a servant of God, 
there are people out there who are out there wanting to do harm to them. So we have to be diligent to maintain what is good so that we, as Paul is giving us here a, an example of what he was like, could have a good testimony in front of the world. I'd like to read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, 12 to 15, stating, by, But what am I doing? I will also continue to do, so that I may eliminate the opportunity from those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. So one of the things that we know is we know that the devil is out there with his angels doing work that is harming the world. He's a murderer, and he wants to see us all go down. But because God is gracious, and because of his love, and because of his glory, he has chosen us to not be children of destruction. And so one of the things that we're seeing here is that Paul is making the point, well, you have individuals out there who are trying to regard themselves as he is, an apostle. But why does he have such a special calling? Because he was the true thing. He was an apostle of Christ. He was called by Christ. But we see that that doesn't stop others from coming out and falsely saying that they themselves are apostles. And this is a very important point because we have a lot of false teachers out giving you a false gospel and giving you traditions of men, traditions of their own making. And it's very, very important that we be rooted in the very message that this apostle gave the apostle Paul. Because these are the things that we use as a defense against evil. And we see that the apostle Paul, even while he was in the flesh, had a, had made a good name for himself, right? As it states, as it states uh, actually now in a uh, Verse 5, if we continue, it says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. What he's doing here is he's showing his standard of qualification as a Jew, as a zealous Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day, obviously circumcision was something that was necessary according to the law. It was a sign of the covenant that people had the people had with God and so he's showing here that he was in terms of that issue fulfilling the law we see also that he says that he was of the people of Israel why is that important because even though we are being called as Gentiles who were the people that were first called who was the nation that was called to be the bearer of God's name Israel and he was of them he says that he was of uh, the tribe of Benjamin. Now, this was one that was to me a little bit odd, you know, because there's obviously different tribes, right? So why did it matter that he was from the tribe of Benjamin? The reason it mattered, brothers, was because when the kingdom split under Solomon, because under Saul, David, and, and uh, Solomon, the kingdom was one. The kingdom of Israel was one. All the tribes were under the one nation. But we know that as a consequence of Solomon's in infidelity to the Lord, the kingdom was actually split in two. 
and there was a divide. The ten tribes to the north became what was referred to as the kingdom of Israel, and in the south there were two tribes, and those two tribes are what made the the kingdom of Judah. Now, obviously by name, it, it was uh, Judah was one of the tribes, but the other tribe that was there along with uh, Judah was actually the tribe of Benjamin. And the reason why this is important is because when you look at the history, if you were to read Kings or Chronicles, and you look at the history of, of the two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, they had nothing but bad kings. They didn't really have any righteous kings. It was actually the southern kingdom with Benjamin and Judah where you actually had righteous kings. So here he's showing why he had pedigree from, from that perspective. When he goes on saying the Hebrew of Hebrews, He's uh, referring to basically his his, uh, his nationality, that he was dedicated to being a Hebrew. That was the one thing. A lot of times, you know, we see that people are very prideful, right, about their, where, where they come from. Well, so Paul, you know, was uh, prideful about the fact that he was Hebrew, that he was Hebrew. He was not, you know, a Samaritan, right, who was mixed, but he was actually a Hebrew of Hebrews. As, as to the law of Pharisee, uh, the reason why he's mentioning this is because we know that the Pharisees were a very, very dedicated uh, Jewish group. There were different groups at the time. The only group that I can think of that might have been maybe uh, more zealous than the uh, Pharisees would have been the Essenes. But, of course, we don't hear about them in Scripture. But they were also a, a bit of a more of a minority. But the Pharisees was, I think, actually the biggest group out there. And they were very, very de dedicated to the law, the law of God, at least from their understanding. And so here we have Paul basically giving the fact that when it comes to these things, he bore the pedigree. But having said that, we know that in the previous uh, verse in chapter 3, it says that we should have no confidence in the flesh. Should have no confidence. Why? Because by what standard are we measuring things, brothers? Do we measure them by man? No. We bear it by God's standard. And we know that God's standard is good. And it's pure. And it's holy. And because of that, He Himself says that we should be holy. But what has the law actually done? The law which is good, right? Peter talks about the goodness of the law. Why is it that that law, what does that law actually show us? It shows us that we are not good. Why? Because we are unable to keep it all. And when that law was given in Mount Sinai, God said for them not to depart from any of it. Don't go to the left and don't go to the right. So for me, it's very interesting to actually see that the Jews actually thought that they could keep the law. That they actually had this belief that they could keep it. Even today, as you know, uh, the Jews still believe that they can keep the law. Even though there are many passages in the scriptures, including the Old Testament, that bear the fact that this is not possible. Every man is a sinner. Every man falls short. But nevertheless, we see that a good name should be sought. In Proverbs 10, 7, it actually speaks about how the memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the testimony of the wicked is a rock. So it's very, very important that as we are living in this world, we want to have a proper frame of, of being able to live so that we can have a good testimony before others. 
Now, having said that, we know that we are also still dealing with sin, right? But one of the things that, of course, we should always look to do is to repent, mm-hmm. to look towards repentance. Because the wonderful thing about the Lord is that He restores. I think the greatest example that I can personally see about this would have to do with King Nebuchadnezzar. In King Nebuchadnezzar, I don't remember the uh, uh, particular chapter it was, but uh, it might have been chapter 4, where he actually is considering you know, the kingdom that he has, and he begins to boast about the great kingdom and the, and the wonderful garden that he had made, because as you know, ancient Babylon was known for its uh, hanging work. But what happened? The Lord actually judged him for that. Why did the, judge, the, the Lord judge him? Because who was the one who actually made it possible? He had revealed in chapter 2 the kingdoms that, that would be given power. And his kingdom was given a power by God. So because he did not acknowledge God in this, he was actually made to go crazy. He lost his mind. And if you read the text, it's uh, very interesting because in having lost his mind, he became the ridicule of the world. Everybody thought he was a laughing stock. He was... His, his hair had grown long, he had long nails, he was eating eating grass like an ox. So he became the absolute opposite of what he actually thought he was. And after seven years, you know, we find out that the Lord actually restored his mind. And, of course, the interesting thing to me is to think, wow, how do you come back from something like that? You know, you're a great king, and now you're, you know, you're nothing but an animal and the butt of jokes. But what ended up happening was that the Lord, it actually says there, the Lord came back my mind, and he said, and with time, my wisdom, you know, grew as well, and he began to have again a good name amongst the people. And that's a very, very important thing that we have to keep in consideration when we are walking with the Lord. Why? Because who, who doesn't mess up? Or sometimes we may even willfully sin. But what's the wonderful thing about having a Savior like Jesus Christ? <clears throat> that we have the way to be able to be redeemed. And that's the one thing that we want to keep in mind. That even though things may go wayward for us at times, and it could be for different reasons, sometimes it may not be for reasons of our own. It could be a, a malady, it could be something else uh, some, someone has done to us, but yet if we trust in the Lord, if we seek His face, He will be faithful to restore us and to bring us back into a good name. And that's actually a very, very uh, important thing because as we want to be able to minister to others, we want to show them the heart that God has given us. And the kind of heart that God has given us is one that is a heart of love. And to be able to love others, we want to be able to give a good testimony. Why? Because we want to show the, the fruit of Christ. We want to be a reflection of Christ. And so it's very important that we understand that that's why it's important to have a good name. And as Paul is showing us here, when it came to being a Jew, he had a good name. But he has something far greater in Christ. Having been called by Christ, he has something far greater that even those who might have even had the same pedigree don't have. Because without Christ, who will enter the kingdom of heaven? No one. No one. Continue forward. I'd like us to uh, read Acts 9. Looking at verses 1 and 2. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters 
from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Right here we're seeing actually the type of Jew that he was. He was so dedicated to his Judaism that he was actually persecuting the church and bringing great hurt to, to, to the church, which at that time was called the way. And so what Paul is showing us is that when it comes to his zealotry in Judaism, it was great. But yet he will, in the following verse, which I'm not going to preach on, he's going to actually talk about how none of that actually mattered. None of that mattered, having received Christ. Because what is the greatest gift for Israel, or even mankind? The Messiah. The Messiah is the greatest thing that God could ever give us. And if Jesus Christ is the Messiah, and you do not have them, if you don't have him, then what do we have? We have nothing. So it's very important, very, very important that we understand that our confidence is not in us, but that it's actually in the Son of God who the Father has sent. Because it is He who will give us that wonderful gift of salvation to be able to be in His presence and to be able to have that life eternal. Continuing in verse 6, it says, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. When it says as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, this is again showing us to the extent that he was so zealous to be a Jew that he was persecuting the church. Right Now, under the righteousness of, of the law, he's speaking, of course, of how the Jews were following the law and he was blameless to keep it. But if we continue, I'd like us to take a look at Romans 10, verses 1 through 3. It says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And what this is speaking to is what he was working, what he was working towards. It's the very same thing that Jews today are doing. What are they doing? They think that by following the law of God, and obviously because it does say in the law of God to honor, you know, to, to love your God with all your mind, heart, and soul, then that they would be trying to keep the law in such a manner. But the law actually shows us that we are unable to do it. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why are we not able to do it? Because one of the arguments that Moses actually does is that he actually argues that keeping the law shouldn't be a hard thing. Just it's not a, a thing that is uh, so difficult that you should, you know, go to the far reaches of heaven, you know, to to ask someone to get it for you or to go to the deepest part of the ocean, you know, to get it. But the reason why, brothers, is because it has to do with an issue with the heart. That even though if we judge ourselves, do we awake ourselves to do evil? Do we want to be what is wrong? No, I don't think, I can't think of any man, I mean, there are certain men, I think, who are uh, dedicated to evil, but I think most of us don't wake up with that intention. Our intention is actually to want to do good, right? If we have children, we want to be good to our children, you know? If we are dedicated uh, sons or daughters, we want to obey 
our mother and father. We want to go out into the world and we want to love our friends, love our neighbors. But yet, because our hearts are darkened, we aren't able to do that. We know that in the book of Jeremiah, it tells us that the heart is increasingly deceitful and that we cannot trust it. And so that's why for us, we cannot trust in what we are doing. We cannot trust in our sincerity. Just the way the Jews are doing. The Jews think that because they are following sincerely the law of God, that they will reach what God has asked for. But we know that that is not the case. When Jesus was actually doing the feeding of the, uh, the 5,000, one of the things that was asked by the people was, show us. Show us what is the works of God. And Jesus' answer was, the work of God is that you believe on Him whom He has sent. Because who has really done the work? Who's the one? Christ. Correct. Christ is the one who's done the work. By God sending His divine Son, He has taken our sin. But not only has He taken our sin, but He has also fulfilled the law for us. And in the case of the Jew, he has even fulfilled the Mosaic law. So our trust is trusting in what God is doing. Once again, let us not be discouraged when we cannot do the things that God is asking because we have to have an understanding that because of the fall of Adam and Eve, we have this curse that we have a proclivity towards evil. But in Jesus Christ, who was not born with that particular sin, but he himself is a new Adam. We have a new thing in him. We have newness. We have a new heart is given to us. We have the way that is given to us. And so we want to always put our trust in Jesus Christ. Continuing on, on a good name, I'd like us to read uh, Proverbs 22.1, which states, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. And this is also true in our day because how many people do we know that are rich but are actually known for being evil people? Not only because they may be greedy, but because they also conduct themselves with great immorality. And sometimes it may not even be that. It might be the things that they are actually supporting. But today we have much immorality that is being supported actually by many corporations. And that's one of the things that we have to see that being wealthy isn't everything. There's a reason why the Lord said that it is uh, easier for a capital to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich man. Because a rich man is caught up on his riches and he has various temptations that come. Why? Because he has the resources to be able to do it. So it's better for us to look at the riches that we have in heaven with the Lord. To look for the good works of God. To do those things that come from the heart. And not necessarily those things that just appear to be good before men. Because even if we were, when we were unbelievers, we made judgments. We considered who was good and who was not. Just as Jesus said, by the tree, by the, by the, by the fruit you will know. A tree is known by, by its fruits. And it's the same thing with us. We have to bear good fruit fruits. We have to be able to bear a good testimony for men. I'd now like to go ahead and finish off with some uh, applications in light of what we have been uh, reading. And the first thing that I want to mention is 
to always remember our dependence on the Lord. That's always key. That our dependence to be able to live and to do good is on the Lord. We can look at Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a repeat of what I mentioned earlier, which is that Christ is the one who has come to do the work of God. And so our our job is to trust in the Lord. That, what, that is what faith is. Many people think that faith just means uh, blindly believing. No, this is about having confidence. Confidence in the Word of God and confidence in the work that God has done in Christ. Second is build a good reputation, which is essential for Christian service. Let us turn to 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we want to be able to build a good reputation because as servants of God, that means that we're working. We're working the works of God. We're reflecting, we got to remember that we're reflecting the character of Christ. So as we're out in the world, we have to be very careful in not only what we do, brothers, but what we say. So we want to be very mindful of the things that we are thinking and the things that we are saying. And uh, one of the things that Paul mentions in another place is, you know, to be uh, ready to give a defense for the gospel, whether you're ready or not. And to be able to do something like that, that means that you have to have the word of God rooted in you. And it's got to be on your mind. So one of the things that you have to do to be able to do that is to be able to also pray that the Lord help us because we have to grow. We have to grow in character. We have to grow in our holiness. It's not just about confessing, Lord, I believe in you, and that's it. But we have to be, again, rooted in who? Rooted in Christ because He is the vine. Right? So we want to make a good practice of being able to every day look to the Lord and to remember this because when are we serving? Do we only serve on Sunday? No, we serve daily. So we want to be looking to the Lord daily so that we may honor Him as He ought to be honored. I'd like to also look at 1 Timothy 3.7 which says, Moreover, He must be well thought of by outsiders so that He may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is an interesting text. Now, this is speaking regarding elders or pastors. And it's not enough that we know someone here to be a good person in the church, but your conduct has to be in such a way that it should be even seen with those that are outside. But I think that even though this is a requirement for pastors, we should also be applying it to the church as a whole. Because the church is Israel. When, when the Lord called Israel to be a nation, they were supposed to be the light to the nation. That means that when He gave them their law, they were supposed to keep the law so that they would see that, that's, that they were the people of God. As a matter of fact, if you read Exodus 4, that is actually, excuse me, Deuteronomy 4, uh, the Lord actually tells that to the people. 
He says, to do these things so that the people will say, wow, your law, you have a line of the law. Your, your God is, 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 is truly God. But because they were unable to do that, what does the scripture say? That they've actually profaned his name. So when Christ came, he came to call Israel, and he came to call us. The spiritually. We are Israel spiritually. As Paul tells us in Romans 9 through 9 through 11. And it's very important that having known, knowing that particular analogy, knowing that what Christ is actually doing is being accomplished today. And that means in you. You bear that responsibility of being a witness, being the light. And we know that the work that Christ is doing in his church will succeed. Because that's exactly why he was sent. To make a people unto himself to glorify God. Glorify God, excuse me. And the last point is going to be that we should have a zeal for God. Just the way we saw that Paul was zealous, right, during the time that he was a Jew, and he actually speaks of the Jews being zealous that, that were uh, around his time, we should be zealous. Or even more, we should be zealous. Because we are actually children of the living God. We are the, the true Israel. And we have to be looking to the Lord, not out of mere obedience, the way, uh, the way a lot of times we do our jobs, right? A lot of times we, uh, we go to work and we want to get paid so we do our job, but we don't really have the zeal to do it, right? <laughs> but, you know, this is, this is our Lord, our loving Lord that we are serving. So what we want to do is we want to do it with zeal. Romans uh, 12, 11 tells us, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So the way that you keep from being slothful is by being in the spirit. If you're living in the flesh, you're not going to produce the works that God desires for you. Romans 8, 6 actually states that the mind that is set in the flesh is death. But that the mind that is set on the spirit is life. So if we're doing things according to the flesh, brothers, it's not going to produce the fruits that you're seeking. It's not going to produce lasting because this flesh is actually dying. And so we want the source of of our zeal, the source of our service, to come from the Spirit of God, which gives life. And if you have accepted Christ, if you have come to Him, you know that that promise has been given to you. The Spirit dwells within you, and it is the Spirit of God that will give you the perseverance till the end. So keep connected to the Lord. Keep connected to the Lord because He is the one that is the Savior. He is the one who is the Creator. If He created everything that we see now. I mean, the universe is far beyond any of us, right? It's even bigger than this planet. If that very God created all these things, how could He not do something that's changed your heart? And to even give you the zeal to do it. If you don't have zeal, if you don't have energy, pray to the Lord. I tell you as one who actually does it myself. When I am weak, when I'm not feeling it, I pray to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. But give me the strength. I'm a, I'm a weak person. Give me the strength. Give me the ability to, to, to do the work that you ask so that I don't fall to my temptations and my desires and my slothfulness so that I may be able to serve you as the servant that you've called me to be. So give me the ability to do so. So likewise, brothers and sisters, I ask you to do the same. To look to the Lord. To glorify His name so that 
like Christ, we can build a good name in front of others and be able to serve our Lord properly. Let us go ahead and uh, turn to our Lord in prayer. Blessed Lord, we ask you to be able to always be with us. Just as with the people of Israel, you sent your angel of the Lord before them. May Jesus Christ be in front of us. May he guide us. May he be our protector. And indeed be our helper. I pray that the spirit that is within us, who is our spiritual helper, may be able to give us the ability to glorify your name in every aspect of life. And knowing, Father, that even though wicked men are against us, and that the devil is against us and his army, that your hand is greater than them. And that if indeed you are working with us, we can get through all things, even when times seem tough. Just as the psalm says, Lord, that even in the valley of the shadow of death, we shall, feel no, we shall fear no evil, because you are with us. So I ask you that you go with us this day, Father, that your name be glorified, that you may be made holy by our sanctification, which is your great work in which we trust. For we ask it in your question, in the holy name. Amen.